Welcome to The Pen and the Yad. This week's conversation is about Shabbat Shuvah and Ha'azinu Shuvah. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayim at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about the Jewish superpower. How are you enjoying the holiday season? I don't know. It's strange. It's nice to feel the change in the weather because at least um, something changes. <laughs> the, you know, the life around the house hasn't changed much the last uh, six months or so. So I'm enjoying the, the crisp fall air and um, it's a strange time we're living through. And yet the Jewish calendar kind of has its own rhythm to it, right? Whether or not, here the holidays come. That's for sure. And uh, that's always something that we uh, can build our lives around and, and give us some structure for sure. Well, this is this is the season. And tshuva, this notion of return, is the theme of the day. And in fact, this podcast is dedicated to the time that we will be in the midst of the Esri Yamechuva, the 10 days of tshuva. And the Shabbat in the middle between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur has a special name. It's called Shabbat Shuva, the Sabbath of return. And it's based on the first word of the Haftarah, the prophetic reading, which is always read on Shabbat Shuva, which fittingly offers the words of Hosea. It says, Shuva Yisrael ad Adonai Elohecha, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. When you hear that, what, what goes through your mind when you hear something like that? Well, I feel like faith is about constantly returning because we lose faith. Uh, we doubt ourselves all the time and you have to come back to what guides you. So that does speak to me in a way because I feel like it's an action that's required um, to have faith in God. It, it's not a constant. You have to keep making it happen. And I like the idea that it's a, a turn or a return to God. It is. It, and when I see this in writing, I have to admit that sometimes my mind goes to cartoons that we've seen a thousand and one times where there's a bearded guy standing with a sign that says, repent, the end is near. Right. And what I want to suggest to you is that that is not a Jewish understanding of repentance. That's a Christian understanding of repentance because of the end of days and the apocalypse and not knowing when their Messiah's return is going to happen. But when it happens, literally all hell is going to break loose and you better be on the right side of things. So mm -hmm. repent, the end is near, has a very clear meaning. And that's why, by the way, I don't think uh, we should translate tshuva as repentance because it's basically using terminology that's best fitted for another religion. What tshuva actually means is to turn. And the reality is, is that from the Jewish perspective, tshuva is a condition of life. By definition, we're imperfect beings. And so this notion that we're going to make tshuva doesn't mean this is a one-time affair because I can show you a hundred-year calendar, a thousand-year calendar, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are still going to be on the list. We don't sort of put them on the calendar conditionally saying, well, if this year, in five years, we don't actually need Yom Kippur, we won't have it. Right? It's like it's there because yeah. you know that we're going to be back. And I think that that's something that we should focus on for a minute. Because as you talked about it, it was actually quite moving to hear you talk about the religious possibilities of change. But change and return are part of the human condition. Yeah, I, I think about the people you've written about. And think about the way that you stylize a story 
And I think about Muhammad Ali going through this process where he is straying and returning, straying and returning. And he's constantly struggling within. And, you know, he's very human in that way. But whereas, you know, we're in the ring, he's anything but human. Well, yeah, here's the thing about, you know, writing books about people's lives is that I can see how it ends and they can't. They're making these choices. They're living these lives and they're, you know, you keep saying return. And what is return? It's a turn over again, right? So they're making turns. They're making choices in their lives. Should I go left or should I go right? Should I, you know, retire from boxing or should I fight again? Should I marry this woman or um, not marry this woman, right? Every choice that they make in life is a turn. And and I have the advantage of sitting here after it's already taken place and writing about it. But I have to always remind myself that they don't know how the story is going to end. And every choice they make, every turn in the road is a choice uh, that um, can go right or wrong. And the courage comes in making choices. The courage doesn't necessarily come in getting it right because you don't know what's right. You have to trust yourself and you have to trust your faith. I really love what you're saying because that is the essence of this time of year. And we even use imagery that speaks directly to it. We write, we, you know, we're writing in the book of life. We ask God, write us in the book of life as if to say the final chapter hasn't been written. You know, it's still being written. So that's up to you. And those choices matter. And the difference that someone like Hosea is offering here, in, as you describe someone like Muhammad Ali, what God is asking you to do is to face God, to turn to God. And which ultimately means turn to Torah, allow yourself to be guided, allow your life to have structure, allow yourself to live with awareness. And in order to face the future, you're going to have to also face the past. I think that's interesting because you think about people who are making choices that they know are consequential. Sometimes we make choices and we don't think that it's going to be very important in the grand scope of our lives. But there come moments in your life when you know you're making a consequential choice. You know that there's a lot riding on this. And what do you draw on in that moment? Are you someone who can turn to their faith in God? Can you turn to the Torah? Or clearly for Muhammad Ali, he had his religion to draw on when he faced this choice of whether to to box again or to um, enlist in the Vietnam War or to refuse to enlist in the Vietnam War. I mean, clearly uh, his faith guided him in that choice, but um, some people don't find themselves able to, to turn to that. They And I, I wonder how much more difficult the choice is. Well, I think that part of the issue here from a religious standpoint is who are we facing? And as a parent, if you are unforgiving as a parent, then chances are your children aren't going to turn to you at those moments when when they may want to confess or come to you for advice and counsel out of fear that you're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. And I guess I would extend this to God. If you think that God is only going to punish you and that God is sort of the cynical being in, in the sky that has a very kind of warped sense of humor then of course you're going to avoid God. Of course your relationship with God is going to be one where, you know, I won't bother you if you won't bother me. Thank you very much. But if you're really thinking about the Jewish approach to this, then it's a relationship where God is waiting for you to turn. There's this amazing midrash in this work called the Pesichta Darav Kahana. So 
the rabbis in this midrash envision the manifestation of ideas that they kind of take on human form. So evil can talk and prophecy can talk. Even the Torah can talk. And so in this midrash, they ask wisdom. The sinner, what is his punishment? And wisdom answers evil, which pursues the sinner. In other words, they're going to pay the price. When prophecy is asked, the prophecy responds, the sinner, what is his punishment? Prophecy replies, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. When the Torah is asked, what's the fate of the sinner? The Torah says, let him bring a guilt offering in expiation and his sin will be forgiven. Now listen to this. When the Holy One is asked, the sinner, what is his punishment? The Holy One replies, in penitence, let him mend his ways and his sin shall be forgiven him. All you have to do is turn and face God. All you have to do is make the effort, and God is forgiving. That doesn't mean that if you committed a crime, you don't face a punishment. But in that relationship, if you are willing to put some time and effort into this, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just means that you care enough to make the effort. What do you think of that as a vision of God? Is that the God that you think about when you stand up on Yom Kippur? Yeah, I think it is. It's the best, um, the most benevolent uh, version of, of God I can think of. That first of all, the responsibility is within me, and God is offering me the chance to to take care of it. God is forgiving and willing to let me try again. I think that's a, a beautiful version, a beautiful way to think of it. I am amazed by this by this midrash because at its essence, it's saying, what does God really care about? Does God only care about obedience? No, God cares about what's in your best interest. I don't really want to punish you all the time. That's not the goal here. The goal is for you to be the best version of yourself. The goal is for you to kind of become who you can be. That's what I'm rooting for, God says. And in a sense, if you start to think about the history of the Jewish people, they have been times when God wanted to destroy them, but God doesn't. And God puts up with us, and it's only because of the possibility of tshuva. It's only because of this possibility of penitence. It's only because of this possibility that you can turn. So God accuses the people of Israel of being stiff-necked. And if you think about that metaphor, what does it mean? I can't turn to face you. I can only face this one way. For God, that's a horrible, horrible accusation to make against Israel because that means that I can't face you. I can't face God. What I can face is this golden calf. I can't face God. And what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur ultimately are saying is that there's a God who wants you to face God and who actually cares about your best interests. I think that's just a powerful, remarkable idea that makes change possible. Yeah, and it makes us the agents of the change. It says that don't wait for God. You can do it yourself, which is liberating, really. And I guess it's also, it is liberating, because it gives you a, a much wider platform to act off of. I want to take it a step further. It's also a statement to us as well. If God is for going to be forgiving, if God is wants to be in relationship, right? How much more should you be open to someone apologizing to you? Which is hard. If someone's hurt you, how do you allow them back in? How do you create or recreate a relationship when there's been a terror? How do you mend that? 
That's also what's being spoken about here. Because it requires action from both sides. You know, someone has to accept that quest for forgiveness. So here's Chuva. Here's this idea. And I want to close by suggesting to you that in response to the question, what is Judaism's greatest contribution to religious thought? And the answer that's most often given is monotheism. No, Jews gave the world the idea of one God. I would suggest that Chuva, that this notion that we can face God in penitence and be forgiven may be the greatest idea because that is what makes the history of Judaism possible. If there was no tshuva, if there wasn't the possibility of tshuva, then the people of Israel would have been destroyed at Sinai. And that would be the end of it. We would never know anything more about them. In fact, tshuva is such an important concept that the rabbis say that it was created even before the creation, because if there wouldn't have been the possibility of tshuva, then the creation couldn't have stood. Pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, that's really powerful. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I wish you and your family a shana tova mitukah, and may all of us be written in the book of life for a good, sweet, and healthy year. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.